and welcome to Rise to Liberty. Uh, I got Jason Bassler on the show today, and uh, we are only streaming to DLive and Odyssey because right at the last minute, YouTube decided to uh, slam my channel with a uh, with a community guidelines strike, which I have appealed as of this morning and, and around uh, uh, about an hour ago. So we'll see how long it takes them to get back to me. Um, they said uh, I had hateful content, which out of all the things I've put out on my channel, the one that they striked, it's amazing to me. I'm like, okay, there's a many more things that they could strike, and uh, it's amazing. So how you doing, Jason? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, man, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing well, and uh, sorry to hear about this strike. I'll keep my fingers crossed that they actually do respond to your appeal, because, you know, that's apparently an option, too, is they just don't respond. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's crazy. So you are the co-founder of the Free Thought Project and the, the founder of Police the Police, which has kind of like been your big projects. Uh, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit um, and just kind of what you guys have been through over the past few years. Absolutely, brother. Yeah, man. So um started uh, Police the Police back in 2012. I had kind of a awakening during the Occupy Wall Street movement. And uh, I was doing stuff prior to that. I've always been involved with social media. In fact, I was on like Friendster back in like 2003. I was doing protests for the Iraq war and stuff. But around 2011, I realized that I had uh, all this information, you know, at my fingertips. Uh, and the age of information, ignorance is a choice. It kind of just dawned on me that, hey, like, what am I waiting for? Now it's my turn to kind of get involved with all this and Try to learn as much as I could. So that's what I did. And during the Occupy Wall Street movement, I, I saw a lot of uh, brutality, a lot of police violence, and it just didn't sit right with me. Um, I've never actually dealt with any type of personal police violence, but that was enough to inspire me and motivate me to create Police to Police uh, in 2012. And uh, basically, it's just an online organization that documents and archives police brutality, uh, police misconduct, and police abuse of authority. And in 2013, a year later or so, uh, I, I met up with um, Matt Agrist, who is also the Free Thought Project co-founder and editor-in-chief, and we created the Free Thought Project. And that project has uh, been more based on just like government accountability, um, dabbling in some conspiracy theories, trying to end the drug war, counterintuitive information. Um, hopefully, people listening to this right now are familiar with it. We've, we've been around for a while now. Uh, but as I was mentioning to you, Jacob, you know, before we started the show, we actually hit a, a rough patch in 2018 when we lost nearly 6 million fans when Facebook and Twitter both took us down, took down both of our pages, both of our accounts, uh, amongst other pages, all on the same day, uh, within hours of each other. So it was quite the life trajectory changer. I had just bought a house, uh, first time I've ever owned a house, and uh, I thought I had a little bit of stability. You know, after five years of building you know, millions of fans under this umbrella with different networks and organizations and pages and whatnot. So, um, yeah, it's been a rocky road since then, but uh, we're still in it. We're not going to go anywhere. As you can see, I'm wearing my Meme War veteran hat today <laughs> to represent because I, uh, I have some street cred when it comes to that. So, But uh, yeah. happy to be on here with you. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to talk about uh, censorship, big tech. I mean, anything, really, anything in the news cycle. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, it's crazy because I, I remember following you guys a long time ago. 
By the way, I've got to say, the pre-thought project, some of the most based memes I think I've ever seen. Just Thank always you, coming out, even still. Like, I, I still follow you guys, like, on Telegram and Instagram and stuff. And still some of the best memes I think I've ever seen. If they they that, just man. hit home. Thank you, so. brother. Thank you. Yeah, I feel like I've hit a little bit of a, a slump lately. I don't know. It's one of those creative things. You know, you hit, like, a wall after a while of doing it. So I've been kind of trying to do other stuff. I've been doing more videos, putting myself in front of the camera for, like, my Instagram account and Twitter and stuff. But, I mean, I love memes. You know, memes are kind of the lifeblood of the Internet. So... Oh, not yeah. gonna ever stop, but I felt like maybe it's time just to switch it up a little bit, do some other stuff. Well, and plus, it, I mean, it's it's a different um, it's a, it's a different playing field than like when you guys first came out and yeah, versus after you guys got censored and everything. Do you kind of want to give your opinion of why it's so important to keep some of these lifelines open? Um, why censorship is so harmful to the overall picture of everyone's uh, freedom and liberty. Absolutely, man. Well, as we've seen, you know, it's a slippery slope. I mean, a lot of these uh, big tech companies came out the gate saying, oh, we're here to protect you. We're here for your best interests. We're here to protect you from uh, misinformation. And, you know, as it turns out, a lot of these topics, yeah, have actually <laughs> turned out to be um, legitimate and real. And instead of actually allowing us to have an open conversation about some of these things, uh, they put the boot down, and so it kind of skews the conversation. Um, now, you know, we don't know when we're entering a, a post into the comment section what's been censored, what hasn't. So we don't know how much the conversation's already skewed towards the establishment's agenda and their own narratives. So, um, yeah, in my opinion, it, it's all about uh, just diversifying different types of sources, different types of, um, you know, platforms. You know, obviously, you know, we're... We're on the legacy. Most of us are on these legacy social media platforms, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. And, uh, you know, I'm not telling you, I'm not here to tell you to get off those completely. I think there's a place for those, especially when it comes to planting seeds and waking people up. But you also got to realize that you're going to have to walk on eggshells. You know, you're, you're stepping into a, a field of landmines, basically, and anything that you say. And even if you don't say it, even if it's just... Um, some type of uh, jest or something that's has nuance involved to it, a, a conversation or, uh, you know, a, a topic or a point that you're trying to make that uh, algorithm happens to scan and there's one or two words that get triggered and it flags you. Well, guess what? There goes your reach. Uh, there goes your reputation with amongst your, your friends and the normies who are happen to be, you know, seeing your information. So there's a lot, there's a lot of implications here. And, um, yeah, again, I think the best, one of the best solutions is to, to reach out to create, uh, communities to migrate over to some of these alt media, social media platforms like Minds, like MeWe, like Telegram. And actually I've seen you over on uh, a few of these, Jacob. I think that's, that's really smart to not put all your eggs in one basket, if you will. You know, that's, uh, the big mistake that we made back in 2018 by putting majority, I'd say 90% of our eggs into the Facebook basket, which at the time it made sense, right? Let me remind you, yeah. this is during the internet golden age and uh, they're giving away reach like you wouldn't believe. And of course, I mean, if you're trying to create your own startup business or organization, you're going to have to go through Facebook to, to have that reach back then because that was one of the only social media platforms available. But now the game's changed, you know, and people are, are migrating off of Facebook. A lot of people are tired of their of uh, their nonsense. So, um, yeah, head, head on over to Minds. Head on over to Telegram. You'd be surprised. It's not just the, you know, right-wing echo chamber that the mainstream media says that no. they are. 
and uh, they're they're picking up momentum. You'll you'll be able to bid, build a, a decent sized audience there, and you won't have to worry about the constant onslaught of censorship, which is uh, it's very difficult. Let's just put it that yeah. way. Yeah, and I've I've really turned to really liking a lot of these platforms. Um, like for video specifically, I really like Rumble and Odyssey, um, both for different reasons. Um, but I don't, I don't feel trapped. I don't, I don't feel like I have to walk on those eggshells. And I mean, YouTube, I mean, that's Google, you know, or Alphabet or whatever they call themselves now. And like, that's one of the biggest, if not the biggest tech overlord that we have now. And I mean, when, when I started this podcast, I didn't even bother with Facebook. I, I just said that there, there's no point because anything I cover, it's going to get flagged. And then so I'm going to put any effort into Facebook at all, and then it's just going to get taken down. So there, there's just no point even. And got all the backups, you know. So when they kick me off YouTube, I still got Rumble and Odyssey. So, you know, try to migrate people over to these other platforms. And it's ultimately, I, I start looking at... um hate speech. Hate speech is just one of these things that the whole idea is absurd to me. Um, but what really points out the absurdity to me is that, okay, so say if somebody says something racist, well, I want to know who these people are. I don't, I don't want them hiding. I want them to be able to freely speak so I know who they are. And then I want to be able to chastise them for having such a backwards, terrible thought. You know, uh, sure. be able to educate them, try to get them away from that way of thinking. But if you have hate speech laws, that just drives it underground. So it yeah. doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, well said, man. And I, I feel like it doesn't make sense to a lot of us who, you know, a lot of us who uh, identify as being critical thinkers. You know, it just um, it's an appeal to the masses. I think it's an appeal to motion um, for these big tech uh, entities to just completely wipe these types of organizations, these types of mindsets off. And I, I get it. You know, it's kind of a liability. It doesn't necessarily make them look good. It's probably not great for their advertising and their advertisers as well. Uh, however, I'm right there with you because the more we push them away from some of these mainstream platforms, well, look, like the, the authorities, you know, law enforcement, the people who are supposed to be kind of keeping an eye on these people um, legally, mind you, uh, it, they're going to push them more and more into the underground, more and more to places where they're not going to actually be able to access their conversations, see what their opinions are on certain things. And that's half the battle right now, right? Like we're in, we're currently in the info wars. And during, the, when you're in the info wars, you have to know what your opponents are capable of. You have to know what they're thinking, what their strategies are, uh, what's on their mind, how they're going to accomplish it. And by not allowing us to have that side of the story and not giving authorities that side of the story, well, who knows? It could be a mixed bag. They could be spying on people with various means. Who knows? But even still, uh, I think it is a very dangerous, dangerous president. President, and uh, it, yeah, it's it's not a good thing. Um, certainly for the bastion of a free speech, which you know none of these uh, you know big tech companies necessarily are, but. I think uh, th there is value there, even if it is some of the most vile and irrehensible speech, you know, that we don't want to necessarily uh, 
acknowledge it, there's still some value there into being able to uh, determine and understand what these people are thinking and what they're capable of. Well, it, I mean, it just makes sense to me. And I know a lot of other people, maybe not everybody, but it makes sense to be able to confront these ideas. Like, if, if, if our ideas are so great, then we should have no problem defeating and confronting these terrible ideas. So sure. that's how it views, or that that's how I view it. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you see things this way as well, but hopping on Twitter... You, you would believe the opposite. Like, the, the, the Twitter sphere is definitely a, a economy and a world unto its own. Uh, that's, that's where, you know, the, the world where hate speech actually exists, where you could have hate speech laws. Um, do you kind of want to talk about, uh, Twitter itself? Uh, because it, it's such a dominating, culture i mean people cite it as official sources on legacy media um world leaders use it and everything but yet it's like a, a really tiny social media uh comparatively speaking to the rest of the world yeah this is true this is very true and i mean yeah even in regards to being like one of the bigger social media platforms i mean it's it is in the sense that it's accepted by the establishment, but it doesn't really have even the same fraction of the same users that Facebook does. Um, but you're right. I think the Twitterverse has kind of uh, taken on its own world. And I think, yeah, I don't have a ton to say on this, but you're right. Like, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, it seems like everybody has an opinion on there. Uh, it's always these gotcha moments, you know, that trying to dunk on your political opponents. And of course, that's that's normal, that's natural, and that in fact, that's what we were just saying we'd prefer over the opposite. Um, but it does become a bit of a toxic cesspool, and even though they try to moderate it as far as like certain words, uh, there's still a lot of people that you know sling their own version of of hate, and uh, it's just camouflage a little bit more effectively and efficiently, I would say. And not to say that there's anything wrong with that i think if you're if you're being respectful at least and trying to convey a point then sure like have at it um but yeah i you know i'm still relatively new to the the twitter universe uh it, it is much more difficult I, I should say than other platforms to really grow a following because i think in some ways it is a bit more intellectual you know you don't have to uh you can't just grow an audience with memes you can't just grow an audience with with video or whatever you can, but to a certain extent, right? And yeah. being a big meme guy myself, I really had to, to take note of, you know, the different types of challenges when it comes to Twitter because it's it's different. It's very different from the other platforms that are out there. It is. I'm, I'm pretty new to it as well. You know, I started a, uh, a page for the podcast. Mm. I keep trying to get banned. You know, I see all, all of the people I follow and all of, all of my friends and everything everything you know get seven day 30 day bans and stuff and i don't know what it takes but i just can't do it for some reason and um you know i i tried memes videos uh in really you build the audience through interacting with other people's posts like sure. that that's really where you where you get the followers when other people can see what you're saying um but like posting on your own page unless you have a hundred thousand followers you're it doesn't really matter what you post, you know, for the most part. Um, 
So what what exactly is uh, the thought project and uh, police the police been up to recently uh, with with the culture that we live in now? Uh, what what do you guys been up to? What's the big stuff going on? We've more or less stuck to our guns. You know, I've I've noticed over the past few years, especially particularly since the MAGA movement, it, things have gotten way more polarized, and uh, it's become much more fashionable uh, in the sense. You're, you're able to gain a lot bigger of a following and grow a lot bigger of an audience if you're directly attacking your political opponents. Now, occasionally we'll do that, right, if, if the left or the right needs to be called out. Uh, but for the most part, we've stuck to our guns. You know, we, we've really tried to focus on the initiation of violence, um, really tried to look at the injustice from the drug war, from police brutality, police violence. Um, so, you know, in a lot of ways, the Free Thought Project and Police to Please hasn't really changed. We have tried to evolve with uh, some of the templates and formats that we put out this type of content. But at the same time, we're not here to try to divide people. We've never been. Um, we've always been trying to be the entity that highlights the, the positive, that tries to bring people together, that shows both sides of the equation and how they kind of overlap. And uh, I think that's been... Probably our, our main our main focus, of course, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, we've just been trying to rebuild. Uh, at one point, we had seven writers working for us. Uh, we had three people on our social media team making memes, videos. I want to get back to that. I want to be a formidable force within the independent journalism movement. Um, it's just really challenging because, as as we both have mentioned now, the, the scene has changed. The movement has changed. It's much more saturated now. There's this kind of this whole new wave of MAGA, you know, Trump supporters that kind of hit the scene and they have kind of their own liberty influence. They have kind of their own ideas on liberty. And then the COVID move, the whole like COVID thing happened. And there's a whole like medical freedom movement oh, that yeah. kind of took up uh, arms as well in this whole thing. And so somewhere in that mix, like we're still trying to do our own thing, still trying to kind of get some, some clicks, some views, still trying to get some recognition, but the game has changed and that, you know, in a lot of ways, that's a good thing. I can't really complain about that. It just means we have more allies now talking about a lot of this information, but, uh, we're kind of just trying to still stay afloat and work our way to the top. Um, so, you know, we're working on various revenue streams. Uh, we're working on a child's a kid book, trying to teach them, uh, the rights. There's a few nice. things. Yeah. That we're, we're trying to do kind of behind the scenes right now. But, uh, for the most part, the contents, it, it's, you know, stayed on target with most of the stuff we've been focused on over the years. You know, one, one thing it, the, I would say the culture is pretty saturated, right? Like, it, especially with Liberty based podcasts and stuff, you know, like I knew that going in, but at the same time, I think that that actually allows for the market to balance itself out. Um, everyone is either going to drop off or they're going to find their place. And then they're going to build the audience that they need um, that, you know, everyone, depending on what content you put forth, is the audience you deserve, you know. And I, I think it's it's going to overall lead to just better content. Everyone who's in the sphere, um, everyone who is actually still around, everyone who's coming up and coming now, you know, it's it's just going to work out. It's going to be the free marketplace of ideas. And honestly, I love free market, free market economics. And, you know, so I'm excited to see where uh, the, the Liberty content um, is going to be in the next couple of years, honestly. 
Um, how how did um, the 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 MAGA community kind of em- embrace the Free Thought Project and police the police? Because I know a lot of them are you know like back the blue and thin blue line people. Yeah, I wouldn't say there was um, a huge uh, flood of Trump supporters that came our direction. If anything, it was people who maybe were in the Trump camp for a while. Yeah, happened to see some some cops that were uh, maybe doing some unscrupulous, you know, things. And in fact, there was like a, a period towards the end of Trump's presidency where there was people protesting and the cops actually pushed them back and were physical with them. And so they were like, oh, wow, like maybe the cops aren't on our side. So I feel like <laughs> if anything, like maybe some of those people transitioned maybe over to us. But uh, historically, you know, we've, we've had more growth. We've seen more success and reach when the president happens to be uh, a Democrat. So um, I don't know. The right is just a little too, um, I guess, entrenched in, into a lot of uh, their positions. And not to say that the left isn't either, but when there is a, a president that's a Democrat, at least we have the right kind of overlapping on some of our our ideas and some of our opinions, you know, where that's very rare that the left kind of has that overlap with us. I mean, there is some, but there's not a ton. Um, so I would say, if anything, you know, it it was a tough period for us. And I think those four years, you know, especially two of them being when we are starting from literally scratch again, uh, it could have been a little bit different if maybe Hillary Clinton won, let's say. Uh, <laughs> in fact, I was prepared for Clinton to win. I had memes made and, you know, we were ready to send them out. And <laughs> next thing I know, he won? Like, Trump? How did this yeah. happen? You know, because he wasn't the establishment candidate. But uh, now we're starting to see a little bit more of the MAGA movement um, kind of move past this right wing idol, you know, idolism or whatever. I don't even know if that's a word. Just idolization. There we go. And uh, I, I think they're starting to kind of be a little bit more based, a little more principled as far as uh, their beliefs. They're kind of moving past the, the polarization, the pointing the fingers and trying to really understand maybe some of their principles and where they stem from. And, you know, there's no better place to do that than the world of libertarianism, spe- specifically anarchism, I would say. Um, so, yeah, I think we've had some converts, not a whole lot. Um, but, you know, I would say if anything, it was probably more of an influx from people within uh, the COVID, all the, the COVID mandates and policies that were being dropped on people's heads like a brick. You know, they were like, wait a second, like this, this seems way too authoritarian. Like, wait a second, this could happen in America. Like, wait a second, maybe yeah. I'm not a Democrat. Like, maybe I'm not a leftist. Maybe I, you know, I need to figure out what's going on. And so I think maybe we were a catalyst opening the door to uh, some of the people on the left during the past couple of years. And um, I would like to think that anyway. I, I think the Free Thought Project, if if I may say so, the one thing that we excel at is kind of blurring the lines. People aren't necessarily sure if we're lefties, if we're on the right. Uh, I think people who are libertarians could probably identify that we're libertarians, but we too, we try to do a good job of muttering, muddying the waters so people can't be polarized instantly just by looking at some of our inf- information. You know, they actually yeah. have to look at the information itself rather than the label that's attached to it. So, um, I don't know. Like, I would say, uh, probably more lefties than, than people from the right. Yeah, I, I would say that. Um, you know, when I first found you guys, and this this was, you know, before 2016, um, 
you know, I, at first I was confused as well, but I, I was still kind of in that left right paradigm. Uh, yeah. I was, you know, I was libertarian, but I was still trying to come out of that. Uh, realize that the, the left right really is just completely made up. And, you know, like sometimes I would, I would see something that would completely agree with me. And then other times I'm like, wait a second. And then it would challenge me. And that's really what made me stick with you guys. So, uh, by the way, uh, all links are in the episode description. Make sure and go check them out if you have not, because it's a great source for, uh, anything that they report on. Um, thank, also, thank you for, oh yeah. Oh, yeah. I was just going to say thank you for saying that, man, because that's the goal. You know, like yeah. that is specifically exactly what we're trying to do is like have some, posts that you resonate with and it's like oh yeah this is a no-brainer but then we're going to throw something at you that you've never really quite comprehended or thought about and let's be honest like counterintuitive information is like how we evolve as humans you yeah. know like questioning these things the things that you think are crazy like oh maybe if i think about it for a second and backtrack and look at how all the dots connect like yeah. actually maybe it's not that crazy to begin with maybe i was lied to you know and yeah. so thank you for saying that man that means a lot yeah well in that i would say specifically uh police the police is what did that for me really it was because i i was never like a back the blue thin blue line kind of kind of a person but i w i was more willing to give the benefit of the doubt to the police sure whereas in many times they shouldn't you know yeah. uh, not to say they shouldn't because there are good people but i mean there's good people that do everything there's still good people in politics it's just they are overshadowed by the people that have been there for 50 years joe biden you know and so I, I think that's definitely what police the police did to me is like there actually is this whole group of uh, unsavory people in police force in, in the police force all over the country uh, and ultimately all over the world as well. Um, so how has your relationship with uh, police officers kind of developed over the years doing police the police? Um. As I had mentioned, you know, I never had, I don't have a police record. I've never had any serious arrests. I've never had any specific issues with uh, the police, never been brutalized or anything. So for me, I haven't had many relationships with police until I started Police the Police. And after that, there's been, I would say, several officers who have reached out to me who, as you could say, are some of the good ones, I guess. And uh, we've formed relationships, you know, they're they're just as interested in my opinion as I am in, of theirs. Um, at least one or two of them are retired now, um, but there's certainly active uh, police employees, too, who I'm friends with. And they we both have a mutual respect, you know, uh, I have a, a mutual respect for them, not because they wear a costume and, and wear a badge, you know, but because <laughs> they're at, actually out there trying to make their community a better place. And hey, yeah, they might just turn a blind eye to somebody who has a little bit of cannabis in a, a state where it's still illegal or something. You know, like these are the, the types of cops, even though they do work for an institution that we don't specifically uh, believe is is valuable or, um, you know, it, they work for an institution that we don't necessarily agree with. I still believe that these individuals have a good head on their shoulders and they're trying to do the right thing. And let me just backtrack a second ago. I don't mean invaluable in the sense that they don't provide a service to society. They do to a certain degree, but when it's something that is non-consensual, which is involuntary, which they extract our, our money, our tax dollars by force, by the initiation 
of course. Uh, it's hard to really quantitate what type or quantify, I should say, uh, what type of value they have in our in our neighborhoods and our communities in society. So I guess that's what I was trying to say. But um, yeah, there's uh, there's good cops out there, you know, and I think there's plenty of them who got into the profession with the right intention. Um, now, we could talk about the institution itself, you know, and how that's something that I believe is, um, you know, not exactly something to be desired in society. Um, but at the same time, I do believe that there, individuals within these police departments are good people, a lot of them anyway, even though they're working for a criminal organization. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's like privateers, you know, road pirates, you know. 100%. Yes. So yeah, let's let's dive into that just a little bit. What what would you like to see as more of like a realistic reform? Uh, because obviously there there are some very big issues. Qualified immunity, you know, at the top of my list, I can think of uh, civil asset forfeiture. Um, there, there's so many issues. So what's something you would like to see that's uh, pretty realistic? So yeah, let's just start by saying neither of those things would exist in a, a neighborhood, a community, a society where police were voluntarily um, paid for and the communities, you know, consensually, they, they actually consented for them to be there. Uh, so in my opinion, reform has been a lost cause. It has been for decades, if not more than a century now. In fact, one of the very first police brutality protests was in like the 1880s, the Hay the Haymarket Riot, which was all about uh, protesting police brutality back in the 1880s. And since then, we've been protesting endlessly. Um, you know, you could look through the, the decades, whether it be the civil rights movement or uh, Rodney King uh, in the 90s with the Watts riots and everything. It, in, up until um, Michael Brown in 2014, uh, even as recent as George Floyd in 2020, we've been protesting, asking, begging for government to reform itself incrementally for decades now and it hasn't gotten us anywhere and a lot of people don't recognize or realize that law enforcement is is just a service right i mean it's not something that's uh it takes a, a genius or a rocket scientist to, to really understand it's a service and all services anything that the government provides whether it be a service or a product uh, these things are funded involuntarily through tax dollars uh, so I believe protection and security services, not police services, because these are two different things, protection and security services could easily be something that the market provides by protection and security companies. And uh, by doing so, we're going to ensure that there's higher quantity, uh, excuse me, higher uh, quality. There's going to be more efficiency, more effectiveness. They're actually going to have incentive to improve and they're actually going to be accountable, which None of those things right now exist in the current paradigm that we have with law enforcement. And now I know people are probably listening. Well, that all sounds great. Like, how is that possible? Well, as I just mentioned, when police are funded by taxation, which is more or less involuntarily extracted tax dollars, they have zero, zero incentive to be accountable, to be effective, to be efficient, or to ever improve. And this all boils down to an economic issue, okay, guys? I mean, I understand that racism is something that's prevalent, uh, and I understand there's other aspects involved with police employees and, and the institution of law enforcement, but this all 
really boils down to being an economic issue. Now, once we start coming together in our communities and demanding that we have our own security and protection services, then we can voluntarily hire any of these entities that are out there who are actually providing the service that we find beneficial and valuable to our communities. So, for instance, my son's really young, but if I had like a 16-year-old son, just got his license, driving in our neighborhood, gets pulled over by one of these security protection agents, you know, or whatever, and this agent decides to give him a hard time. He's questioning him. He pulls him out of the car. Maybe he pushes him around a little bit. Well, guess what? Now, because this is a, a company, a firm that we voluntarily funded, guess what? We could decide as a community, hey, look, like he just pushed around and bullied my son. I no longer want to continue to voluntarily fund these people. All the community agrees. And guess what? That that business, that company, that firm, they're out of there. You get somebody else in with a better reputation. Now we're heading towards the age of accountability, right? I mean, that's yep. pretty safe to say with review systems, all the different you know ways to keep organizations, institutions accountable online. So the idea that we're just going to continue to allow uh, police employees, the institution of law enforcement to bully us, and we just hope that there's going to be some type of middleman that we could vote in every three or two to four years and hope that they do some type of incremental reform within law enforcement in our city. I mean, that's just delusional, magical thinking, right? Like we yeah. really need to take back control specifically of this one type of quote service into our communities. And by doing so, we're going to see a lot less violence. We're going to see maybe completely gone with the extortion with the ticketing, with the arbitrary uh, speed limits. I mean, all these things, right? So I understand this is this is a ways down the line, right? We're not going to just do this overnight, but we still kind of have to have the blueprints to, to have a macro view of what it exactly it is that we're trying to strive for, what we want to be, what where society can be peaceful and, uh, and, and prosperous for everybody. So in my opinion, that's the path forward is yeah. to kind of bring this back down to the community level, to the neighborhood level, and actually let people voluntarily choose who's going to be protecting them. I mean, this is one of the most important services that we could possibly have in society, and we're allowing the government to do it. And we've seen how big of a disaster that is with Uvalde just last month. Oh, yeah. You know? So, I mean, that's just one small example I could probably name a thousand. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you don't have to go far to find to find an example. Um, and you don't only have to go to a, a source like you know, the Free Thought Project or Police the Police either. You can go to Legacy Media and find an example there as well, and you also don't have to go that far finding an example there. You know, they are all over the place. You know, I I agree. So, I mean, I'm a anarcho-capitalist, so I want to see no government in all free market. And ultimately, you know, I I just want to see the, uh, the, the penalties be financial and the incentive be financial. Uh, that seems to be how everything functions correctly. Um, like as of now, I would love to see any internal investigation have to come out of the, uh, what, what is it? The, uh, what, what police receive, uh, not, not their, their, their bonuses, their, uh, after they retire. Oh, what is it? The, uh, oh, like a retirement pool or something. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Sure. Like what, what, right, so. Right. In any like shooting investigation has to come out of their retirement benefits. Sure. So they're, they're going to be a little bit more, uh, more worried about being a little trigger happy 
or um, there was recently a uh, a story of a, a a woman police officer pulling out her gun instead of her taser. Um, you're you're going to be a little bit more uh, apt to go get some high stress training or um, you know be more involved in the community so you actually know these people. Um, you know there, there's going to be different incentives uh, when it starts coming out of your uh, retirement. Sure. Um, ultimately, I would I would love to see the abolition of you know like police officer or police forces. They they work for the mayor. I I don't like seeing that. Sure. I I would much rather work closely with my uh, sheriff's department, uh, who are some of the most powerful people in your county. You know they they can kick out the feds if they want. Um, by the way, that you know is a good point to make sure and get out and vote for your sheriff and know who it is. Uh, because you vote them in, they're not appointed like uh, police chiefs. So, you know, it's it's just really interesting. And I, I think that's the other side of this, is that there is accountability on behalf of the citizens. Um, you, you can't do nothing. You can't not know who your city councilmen are, your county commissioners, and then just go protest when something bad happens. I mean, you really do have to actually know these people and get involved. And if you don't like what they do, take part in the system. You know, everyone says democracy this. I always hear people crying democracy this, democracy that. Well, get involved with it before you start crying it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, you just mentioned you're anarcho-capitalist. I would I would say I'm uh, in that same, uh, identify the same way. And I think there's... Um, there's a divide in the community, especially within like the libertarian anarchist community where it's like, okay, do I vote or do I not vote? Like, do I continue to propel the system by engaging with it or do I let it wither away and not, not vote, not participate? And this is a really big debate within the libertarian anarchist community. I mean, this is something I, I talk to our podcast guests about frequently because I like to hear each and every person's opinion. And I think we're basically at the point where as much as we want to strictly adhere to our principles and not participate whatsoever with the state, with government, I think we've gotten to a point now where it only makes sense to participate in defense of democracy and localism and voting within your, your neighbor, your community, your city, uh, trying to do what you can to, yeah, influence those types of elections and get the right people in there. Uh, now, on a federal level, that's a completely different story. Yep. I, I would say there's probably not a lot of influence or change that you're going to be able to facilitate. However, not unless made, you got I, the money. <laughs> true, right? I heard Jeff Dice of the Mises Institute make this point a few months back, and it just it hit me like a ton of bricks. But we're basically allowing the left to co-op a lot of these um, positions within our, our yep. city governments, and it's showing. Like it's starting to show. Like our a lot of our uh, especially during COVID, you know, a lot of our rights were uh, taken away from us. And if we had specific people in those positions uh, that were more freedom-minded, then there could have been some different outcomes. So I, I think absolutely it's important to engage with uh, politics in your community, um, any type of local elections and voting. And, uh, you know, of course, two years ago, you wouldn't have heard, heard me say that. But at this point, I, I think it's absolutely critical to do so uh, because... Yeah. They are, and, and they're winning, you know, so we need to kind of have at least one foot in the political uh, realm as well. And that doesn't mean you can't keep doing things in the, the agorist world. You can't you yeah. still kind of continue building your own business or 
uh, doing civil disobedience or protesting or a hundred other things that are all kind of moving towards the same objective. But uh, I'm right there with you. I, I think it's important. Well, I yeah, I think you have to strike some sort of a balance because these these other people who do not have our best interests in mind are still going that route. And right. I, I would say that not engaging in the system would hold more credence, except for the fact that the largest voting base are the people who don't vote. And it still leads to this. Now, the good part of that is the people who still engage in it are still going to be a pretty small people. So if the more people we can get in, the more we could actually influence uh, because so few people actually vote, actually get involved. Right. So yeah, right now is a good time to get involved. Especially on the local level, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, for anybody who uh, is listening right now, the Mises Caucus, um, the Mises guys yeah. have, have more or less kind of, I don't, I don't want to Mises say hijacked. They're <laughs> nice. Yeah, I didn't even see that. They've kind of taken over uh, the, the current iteration of the Libertarian Party and uh, that's exactly what they're working for. And I couldn't support them more. You know, I mean, there's other yeah. people out there who are hardcore agorists, let's say, or whatever. And they're, they're kind of giving them a hard time about it. But as far as I'm concerned, like this, this approach, this strategy has to be multi-pronged. And uh, we're, we're too late into the game to just be absolute purists when it comes to principle. And that was me for a while. But look, like COVID was a huge eye opener, I think, for a lot of people, not only our normie friends, but for people like us, too, to, to realize just how far into this we are, you know, and, and uh, how much it's escalated in such a short period of time. And and to add to that, I mean, it, it, I think it's still safe to say that there's a very possible uh, real likelihood that they're going to use that same COVID template for another, um, quote, emergency, whether it be the climate or some type of new virus. I mean, they already kind of half-assed tried to do the, the monkeypox thing, and <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not really taking hold. Of course, that's a whole different type of transmission and virus in itself. But I really do think they're just going to usher in using that same template, the same kind of fear-mongering and uh, control mechanisms that they did already. Um, so, you know, we have to be mindful of that as well. Yeah, and I I think they're, you know, kind of like uh, what Project Veritas kind of exposed with some of their leaks, you know, a few months back, that it's most likely going to be climate-related stuff as of now. Um, uh, just a, a, a note about the Mises Caucus. So I was at LP National um, in Reno. Um, now is a good time to be involved in the party. I have not seen the energy in the Libertarian Party like that ever, at all. Um, I'm a Mises Caucus state organizer, actually. So uh, a lot of this stuff is what got me involved. COVID is what sent me over the edge and said, I, I have to, only because the the insatiable hunger for control and power is never going to be met. Like, they're just going to keep going and keep going until we've got communism on every level you could possibly think of. Um, yeah. And I just, I don't see it ending it any other way. I think things are escalating, too, for several reasons. You know, I think they recognize there was a, a huge backlash to a lot of the COVID policies. I think they're, they're realizing the power of the Internet. I think they deeply... Um, mistook how powerful 
the internet could be. And uh, there's other aspects of it as well. I mean, the the financial system, the fiat currency, the the debt, the trillion, you know, where are we at now? Uh, 32 trillion. Yeah. Just about um, somewhere around there. So, I mean, it's absolutely insane. I think they they realize the house of cards is going to fall. So it's almost like things have been on, you know, on warp speed, no no pun intended. But uh, so it it makes sense, you know, and if you look at it from that lens, you're like, wow, like that would explain why we're having one crisis after another, like one emergency after another. And it's (laughs) been, you know, kind of been that way since 9-11 to a certain extent, whether it be, you know, the war on terror or, um, you know, they're they were throwing out a bunch of different viruses throughout the past 10 years at us as well. I mean, there was uh, H1N1, there was SARS, there was all these different, and it was almost like none of them really stuck, you know, and then all of a sudden yeah. there was a, a novel coronavirus, and I think of that one, like that one was the one that stuck. But um, yeah, I think there's, there's reason for it. And, you know, once you realize your government has been hijacked and that they're trying to basically cash out as much as they can, before the house of cards goes down, then things start to make a lot more sense. Yeah. So, you know, I, I always think about the analogy. I was just talking to my, my mom and my wife about this earlier, about the, the analogy of, you know, the, the frogs in the boiling water. Mm. And it seems like they just turned up the water a little too quickly. And now a vast majority of us notice that we're all being boiled alive. And while there's still some people sitting sitting in the hot tub just being like, oh, no, it's fine. Get back in. And almost everyone is on the outside screaming in. It's like, no, get out. You're being boiled alive. Um, I'm, I'm not so sure. Sh- yeah, I know, right? Where's my tinfoil? Um, extremist. I know, exactly. <laughs> How dare I just want to be left alone, <laughs> you know? But I don't, I don't think... You know, if they tried to introduce uh, lockdowns quite like that, that it it would be the same. I, I don't think it would go down the same way at this point. How do you feel about that? Well, uh, it has in other countries. Of course, you know, other countries don't have quite the same backbone of, of liberty that, you know, the United States does. But, um, yeah, it's a good question, man. Unfortunately, it, it's really hard to to know what percentage is on our side, which percentage really... Uh, woke up during this last, you know, quote, emergency. And uh, yeah, I mean, I could see it kind of going both ways because still, there's still a lot of sleepwalkers out there. You know, there's still a lot of people who, as you mentioned, are are still sitting in the, you know, extremely hot water thinking, well, the fact checkers wouldn't lie to us, right? Like, you know, (laughs) MSNBC, they're my friends. Like, of course, like, I love Rachel Maddow. She's wonderful. Like she speaks for me. She is me. Like I identify <laughs> with her. Yeah. You know. So um, I don't know. That's a good question. I think if it was if there was a, a big enough fear, and I think that's where they really succeeded with COVID because it was just yeah. so far outside of most people's wheelhouse. You know, it was like wow, like there's this new, you know, virus that's emerging and it's deadly. Uh, it's spreading like crazy. And plus, we also have these visual representations of our fear that we wear on our face. And so, look, your friends are wearing them. Your family are wearing them. Everybody's wearing them. You probably should, too. So, I mean, if the fear propaganda is strong enough, then anything's possible. You yeah. Know? Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, right right there in the beginning of COVID, I was there with very a huge swath of people. Like, what the hell is going on? Um, you know, I did think it was weird. I was just thinking back. I saw some screenshots from, uh, the news around then 
when it wasn't a big deal. People were still going to Chinatown, you know, before all of this stuff really broke out here in the States. Like Nancy Pelosi went down to Chinatown and said, you know, this is completely fine. Everyone come on down, like still huge groups of people. And what we know about it now, like that wouldn't have been a big deal really anyways. Like most people are going to get it and it's not going to be that big of a deal. But then just literally a couple of weeks later, it's like, oh, shut everything down. Like we're done. Like, everyone stay home for two weeks, like, wipe down your groceries and just everything. And that's when I started just questioning things didn't seem right. Like, shut everything down was my moment. It's like, wait a second, that's that's not right. That, that, sure. that doesn't seem right to shut down the world's economy to everything. And, and we're still feeling the effects to it of it yeah. now. And I, I think we will for a very long time. And it was interesting because I was working in a warehouse at the time, a uh, food warehouse, and we didn't stop. So I, I never stopped at all. I was, you know, frontline worker or, you know, I, I wasn't making TikToks, though. So, yeah, you know, I wasn't be I wasn't being praised for going to work or whatever, like some of these nurses. But right. Choreographing, choreographing uh, dance routines. Yeah. Yeah, I, you know, would probably get fired for that in the warehouse, but, you know. <laughs> sure. What the hell you are know, you guys doing? Yeah, exactly. Get back to work. <laughs> and, you know, we, we were getting packages straight from China. And, you know, we would have to open up some of these boxes. I'm pretty sure I got it within the first couple of weeks before it was even a thing, you know. I was sick for almost like two weeks because I had to go to work and keep working and everything. It was like a really bad cold. You know, for me, I know it affected some other people worse and stuff. So I'm not going to say that it was, that's all it was for everybody. But sure, it's it's interesting to see how everyone behaved because a lot of people bowed down and bent the knee that I didn't think would. Um, yeah. I I would like to believe that it wouldn't happen quite the same, but it would it would have to be, I guess, presented in such a way. Uh, which is what makes me nervous about a lot of this uh, nuclear preparation stuff coming out. Uh, I'm sure you saw the the New York City PSA. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, I mean, we're in a proxy war with a nuclear state, um, playing around with NATO, which is just scary to me. Um, how 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 do you feel about a a, a lot of what's going on in uh, Eastern Europe? Um, yeah, well, I was just talking about this on Friday. I think this, a lot of this could have been avoided. I think, you know, by sending billions upon billions over to Ukraine, this is only prolonged things, you know, and, uh, if anything, you know, if we were actually the world's policemen, you know, we would have been brokering a deal, a peace deal between, uh, Ukraine and Russia. But I think this plays to a lot of our political interests and, or the U.S.'s political interests. And by the way, um, Nobody knows how many billions have been sent to Ukraine. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Go ahead. I no. mean, anybody that's listening to this, go ahead and just type into your, your favorite search engine. Like, how many billions has the U.S. sent to Ukraine? No, nobody knows. There's different numbers. There's been several, uh, you know, different uh, news stories about billions upon billions being sent. I know everybody was really upset about that 40 billion, but there's been a lot more sent since then. Uh, that to me seems really strange. And yeah. also there's White House officials on record basically saying uh, it goes into a black hole once it hits Ukraine. Like we have no idea where it goes. 
And, you know, we've seen uh, several times now uh, U.S. weapons being sold out of the back of a truck, you know, a pickup truck on the black market in Ukraine, at U.S. Uh, Javelin missiles. But, so I, I think this is just all a big mess. I think the U.S. is, is a, you know, it's obviously using it to their advantage politically, geopolitically. And there's plenty of uh, useful idiots out there supporting it, you know. And, hey, look, I don't want to see war with any country. I don't want to see death and destruction by anybody. But I'm not going to just automatically point the finger at Russia just because the mainstream media told me to. Yeah. Because Stephen King wears a Ukraine flag hat on his, you know, his head <laughs> or whatever. It, I mean, yeah. there's, just, there's just so many useful idiots out there who would buy this stuff hook, line, and sinker, you know. And unfortunately, you know, it, they, once again, they, they play up upon our fears, but they also play upon our empathy, you know, because that's exactly what they've done with Ukraine, you know, like Russia is the big bad bully. Uh, Ukraine, you know, we're supposed to feel sorry for everybody involved, but at the same time, you know, the Pandora Papers that were released, uh, mm. what, about a year and a half ago, they, yeah. they state that Ukraine actually has the most offshore accounts, you know, out of any country. I mean, they have, uh, you know, so much illegal and uh, dirty money being funneled there, you know, and being washed uh, through money laundering. And I mean, there's just so many, there's so much corruption in Ukraine, yet like the American public just buy it. You know, they're like, yeah. Yeah, we need to support Ukraine. And, and it's a mess over there. And not to mention the whole Hunter Biden thing, too, you know, with yeah. uh, the business dealings going on there, 10% for the big guy. I mean, this stuff is. Just Joe Biden bragging about it, about quid pro quo. I mean, blatantly. Sure. Like, come on. And we're, we're supposed to believe that uh, everything is on the up and up over there. Zelensky is not a corrupted politician, just like everyone else. Right, right. I yeah, mean, got... he has ties to the World Economic Forum, and God yeah. only knows how deep that goes, you know? Yeah, yeah. you know, people like Ben Stiller taking the photo ops, you know, and it's just like, man, like... Yeah, you guys. I don't even know if I want to say it's like useful idiots anymore. Like some of you people might be doing this intentionally because I don't know this the State Department or something like taps you on the shoulder, you know, like Matthew McConaughey style, you know, like uh, <laughs> we need your face. We need you to talk about gun control, Matthew. Like, okay, that was my hometown. Sure, I'll do it. I mean, like, who knows? That could be happening behind the scenes on, on a bunch of different levels, you know, with these people advocating for this stuff. So. Uh, yeah, it's just frustrating, man. But it, at the same time, I guess it's to be expected. You know, I mean, we, yeah. there's not a lot of critical thought in this country. There's not a lot of intellectual integrity. Uh, people are so polarized. You know, if they identify with a team that supports Ukraine, then they're going to support Ukraine. So. You know, I, I thought it was so crazy. Uh, right. You know, first couple of weeks, this Ukraine thing was happening and I saw Ukrainian flags being flown above state capitol buildings and i was just like this is like almost an invasion you know and it, it was a complete psyop you know it's sure. just like yellow and blue everywhere you could think of yeah. and it was it was mind-blowing to me i'd never seen anything like that in my entire life to that extent you know sure. it, it was it was crazy yeah, the, the media pushed hard on it, man. And, and remember, when all the headlines look it's the same, you know, it's it's not news, it's advertising, you know? So, yeah. I mean, it, people need to realize that, that these legacy medias aren't out here to do you any favors or to keep you informed. They're actually trying to tell you what to think, what to be outraged about. I know people listening to this know that, but I mean, it's just, it, it should be common sense by now. But again, the critical thought, the critical thinking just isn't there. Yeah. 
So there's one thing I wanted to bring up. I, I figured you would be a good person to uh, see what you thought about this and if you haven't already seen this. Um, but it's uh, Ghost in the Machine. Um, I implore anyone who hasn't seen this uh, to go watch all of it. psychological warfare um, aspect of the the U.S. military. That was like a straight-up advertisement for them. Interesting. Wow. Yeah, I hadn't seen that yet. Um, That probably explained the the slickly edited video and uh, when you have (laughs) endless millions to spend on these things, they always turn out looking pretty slick. But uh, Yeah. yeah, man. Wow. I mean, what's your take on that? Um, I think it's interesting. Um, so th- this is kind of what I wanted to segue into is propaganda. Um, the, the whole tagline to my show is to break your programming. Uh, that's why I'm here. It's supposed to, my show is supposed to make you feel a little uncomfortable, make you question these things. Um, so personally, I loved it. I thought it was well produced. Um, but also it struck fear into me. Um, them being able to say certain things like, uh, we're here, we're everywhere, we're ghosts. Like we can influence, we can inspire. And it's like how much of everything that we see, even a lot of these, uh, you know, conspiracies or anything, how much of this is just manufactured, you know? Sure. And, and so it, uh, it definitely, like I said, it struck fear into me because of that. And it's just like, you, you guys have a lot of power, but they're they're so blatant about it 
is what confuses me. So either they, they view us as so stupid that most people would see that and not be shaken at all, not be worried and just be like, well, yeah, of course, like we have psychological warfare uh, in the U.S. military. Like that just, yeah, that seems right. That doesn't affect me, though. That doesn't mean that my views are manipulated. So, sure. so kind of what, what, what are you thinking after seeing something like that? Well, I mean, many suggest that the QAnon movement was uh, COINTELPRO too, right? Like, yeah. um, there was just too many aspects that seemed a little too far-fetched, a um, little too much gravitating towards a specific idol, which, you know, never is really going to pan out or play out very well. Um, yeah, you know, being in this world for so long, nothing really surprises me anymore. I mean... Um, <laughs> Oddly enough, like I've, I've talked to a couple friends about the new Top Gun movie, and they're like, "Oh, it was great." And I was like, "Well, you know, the Department of Defense like funded half of it, right? It was like mostly propaganda." And I'm like, "Oh, wow! Like, really? I didn't. I had no idea." <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So they've been doing this for a while now, you know, and uh, they, they even did it for the first Top Gun. In fact, I think yeah. they had recruit recruiting booths outside of the theater, if I remember correctly. Um, for the first Top Gun, and that's yeah. you know, I'm surprised they're not doing it now because they're so desperate. The military recruitment has has dropped significantly, but um, yeah, man, this is this is part of the game, and that's why I say you know, this we're in the info wars, and as much as I, you know, don't want to give Alex Jones a shout out, like he was right. I mean, we are. He was right, you know, ten, fifteen yeah. years ago when he came up with that name. We are in the information wars. There's still a large segment of the population that doesn't realize that. But yeah, these people have a hand in just about every single thing that influences us in, in one form or another. Um, that's not me being completely hyperbolic. I mean, this is just the state of the, the world and reality that we're in. Um, you know, whether it be Hollywood, you know, and the programming that goes in, as I was just mentioning, you know, the Department of Defense, uh, you know, help fund some of uh, <clears throat> the Top Gun movie. I mean, there's on the Free Thought Project, there's a, an entire list of different movies that have been funded by. Uh, the government, Department of Defense. So I think it's scary in the sense that you always have to double double question and double think everything that you believe to be real, everything that yeah. you believe to be truth. Uh, but I think it's better to know it than to not and to know that it is important to never give that inch to uncertainty, to always double check, uh, to do your own research, to use your own discernment, um, that's the only way we're going to get through this mess, you know, and, and sticking by and, and supporting people who are in your camp, who are, you know, ideologically um, in, in the same boat as you. And of course, that's not always going to be the answer and the solution. But right now, trying to make sense of this crazy world that we're in, it's about the best we could do, you yeah. know. So, um, so what, what, what's yeah. a couple of uh, uh, things that you do to kind of keep an eye out for just like straight propaganda, uh, a couple of things that might tip you off. Like while you're, say you're reading something mainstream media, I'll, always it's a good rule of thumb to just assume it's bullshit coming from legacy media. Sure. However, what, what's a couple of things that would tip you off that you're reading it and saying, ah, okay, yeah, this is an advertisement or uh, this is uh there, there's more to this story than what they're saying. Yeah, it's a tough one, man. It's funny because I was just we were just listening to um, something a couple of days ago, and I was like, "You hear that? Like that's straight up propaganda." When they tell you something, 
when they straight up tell you how it is, what it is, they don't lay, allow any room for uh, subjective opinion. That, a lot of times that's going to be a red flag. I don't know if I have any specific bullet points on this one. I wish I did, and I probably should. But I think the more you get into this stuff, the more you you just develop your own sense of discernment, uh, the more it will just pop out like a huge red flag. Your spidey sense will tingle. You know, it, it just doesn't feel right to you. And that's when you double check sources. That's when you try to, uh, to, to yeah, to, to look for sources on the topic that you know are going to give you a straight take on it. I'll say right now, everybody has a bias, right? Including the Free Thought Project, oh, yeah. including myself. Every single form of information exchange has a bias to it. Even the ones that tell you they're objective, uh, even the ones that are mainstream, you know, there's a lot of these big mainstream entities, CBS, NBC, ABC. Oh, we're objective news. No, you're not. Okay. Yeah. Everybody <laughs> has, everybody has a bias. Okay. Everybody has, um, internal history that they can't deprogram out of. All, all, we all have our own experiences and histories. So these things are going to, you know, lead us to certain beliefs, lead us to, um, believing certain types of information without double checking it. But it's up to us to always, always, always double check, confirm things uh, before we share it. And I think that's one of the, the main things I would say. I don't know if I have any preventative uh, measures, but I would say in hopes of people actually trying to embrace intellectual integrity, before you send something out, before you reshare, retweet something, just take a quick second to Google it. Maybe don't even use Google. In fact, let's try not to yeah. you know, use a start page um, or... Quant. Yeah, your pre-search. That's another good yeah, one. Pre-search dot, dot io. Um, go from there and, and do your own research. You know, find the sources. You know, find uh, James Corbett. You know, um, a lot of these people, Tom Woods. They're going to give you this. You know, they're straight shooters. They're they're out here trying to. Uh, they're on Team Liberty. They're on Team Peace, yeah. right? And it's authenticity repeated that creates trust. And these people are authentic. These are the people who don't have any horse in the race. They're not doing it to uh, win over a million-dollar contract or appease lobbyists or whatever. They're out here because they want to see liberty in our lifetimes or in our kids' lifetimes. So, um, yeah, man, if I had a little bit more time to prepare on that one, I'd probably have a better answer. But I, off the top of my head, I, I, maybe I gave a little bit of uh, yeah. value there. But that's a top. No, I, I I think that's that's a that's a great answer. Um, you know, it, it is a hard thing. Uh, how how do we combat propaganda you know um it's a really multi multifaceted question sure um one one thing i i will point out to anybody is that if you're reading a news story and the only thing that all their hyperlinks link to the only thing like for instance the splc uh known propaganda um all they link to is just other articles on their site that's it and that's that's fine if you link to your site, obviously. But eventually, you've got to be able to dig those hyperlinks that will link to actually something substantial, sure. you know. And if if a site will only link to their links and that's it, nothing else, it's most likely bullshit. That's it. Um, you know, it's it's just really interesting. Uh, organizations such as the SPLC. Um, they, they've been releasing a lot of uh, hit pieces on uh, the Mises Caucus and the Libertarian Party recently, so it seems like 
we're doing something right, <laughs> you know, sure. recently. Yeah. Finally, for once. No, you, know. you make a good point, man. I, I think there's, um, again, going back to this lack of critical thought thing, I think there's a big disconnect with people online not understanding what an argument is, okay? And once you start to actually understand what an argument is and not just a word salad of big words that sounds like it's somewhat <laughs> smart and therefore you're convinced, okay? No, you actually need to have an argument and an argument should be the only thing that ever persuades you to, to thinking in a different way, okay? And an argument consists of reason, logic, and evidence. And if both those things, three things are missing, then you're probably just dealing with somebody who is, um, you know, hyperbolic, somebody who's trying to sensationalize their opinion. And don't get me wrong, we all have our opinions. That's fine. Oh, yeah. Like you're allowed to have your opinions. But if you have a specific truth claim about a topic or an incident, you're going to have to provide an argument based in reason, logic and evidence. And I think once you start to kind of understand that and understand what that looks like, then deciphering propaganda is much easier, you know, because. Yeah. There, there's so many people out there that are persuaded just by, you know, a few big words that have a lot of conviction behind it. Yeah. And that's great and all. Like, don't get me wrong. You're allowed to have your opinion. But if you're trying to convince me to believe the specific truth claim, then look, you're going to have to bring some evidence. You're going to have to have some substance. And there's still just such a profound, large, profoundly large amount of people on the internet that just don't get that concept. Yeah. Uh, bring receipts. I believe is sure. what, what, what the kids say now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. You know, you know, it's, it, that, that kind of makes me segue into uh, the last little bit. And I think we'll start kind of wrapping up on this topic is uh, education. Um, I believe it to be the civil rights issue of our time period is education is ending government schools. Uh, they are not public schools. That's not what they are. They are government schools, which pumps us full of propaganda. Um, so, so how do you feel about uh, the, the schooling issue? Yeah, it's... Um, I, I think you hit the nail on the head. You're, you're absolutely correct. To me, in my experience, it was a place that bred conformity and collectivism. And... Uh, I think both of those things are very dangerous for people who aren't also given the skill of critical thought, but it works out perfect for the establishment. It works out perfectly for the ruling class, of course. And some would even argue that that was the intention behind government schools. But I would say, yeah, get your kids out of the camps. Uh, that's what Sal Mayweather, you know, Sal the Agris. I mean, that's yeah. what he always says, get your kids out of the camps. I quote him on that yeah. almost weekly, you know, because that's exactly what they are, their indoctrination, re-education camps for your kids. Um, and you're going to see a, a huge change in, in personality from your children the longer that they go to these public schools. Now, Michael Malice points out the only time that people ever have a physical interaction or altercation in their lives is at public, public schools. And I think that's pretty damn accurate. You know, like I've never, <laughs> outside of my, my time in public schools, I've never had any type of physical altercation. So, um, I, I believe that education starts at home. You know, I'm a big proponent of uh, homeschooling, a big proponent of um, peaceful parenting. And, I, you know, I mentioned earlier I have a almost three-year-old and I have uh, nearly a one-year-old now. And trust me, it's not easy. It's not easy. It takes a lot of patience. It requires a lot of discipline on my behalf and my partner's behalf. But this is the future. This is the way forward. Okay, guys? Like, this is the only way we're going to create a society 
that isn't a million tiny little authoritarians, you know, and, and <laughs> of Karens and, and Kevins trying to tell us what to do with our own lives. Uh, this needs to be very much, um, you know, pointed to and highlighted in the freedom community and movement. I don't think there's enough people talking about peaceful parenting, but to me, that's where it starts, you know, and if you, if, you know, obviously that's where it starts. A lot of people don't have uh, the funding to put their kids into private schools. If that's the case, um, try to do home pods. You know, that's kind of a newer, yeah. um, more recent phenomenon since the, the COVID thing, which, you know, it's for people who aren't familiar. You just put your kids with maybe five, 10 other kids within uh, your, your neighborhood. And maybe there's an ex teacher in the neighborhood that, you know, used to work at a Montessori school or a Waldorf school or some school or something like that. And, you guys all privately pair, um, you know, they, they have different, um, you know, curriculums for the kids and everything. And that's one workaround from the public yeah. schooling. And of course, there's always unschooling as well, which is basically not any real dedicated time towards education and basically just teaching kids as they grow up and learn when they show interest in certain things. Yeah. And some people say that actually facilitates more interest and growth from children. So. All these things are probably more advantageous than sending your kids to propaganda camps and really allowing the the system and, and their peers and the establishment to propagandize them and conform them to collectivism. Yeah, I mean, I I would be open to hearing anyone's story who actually had a good time going through public school. Um, I sure as hell didn't. Um, it, it was miserable, you know, I, of course I had fun with my friends, but that's not what I'm talking about. You know, sure. everyone has funs with fun with their friends. Um, I didn't receive a great education. It was standard education, which I'm not even sure, but it's, it's not a good education. You know, right. I, I learned way more outside of school than I ever did in, um, and and the fact that, you know, somebody could get in trouble for not going to school. And if, if you're young enough, you know, your parents get in trouble for you not being there. That seems weird to me. You know, like you're, you'll receive a fine or could possibly uh, end up doing jail time for your kid not being in school. That seems weird to me. Absolutely. Um, there's there, there's all kinds of issues with it. Um, the, the treatment, especially in any resource class and, you know, kids end up in resource class who don't have any special needs. And even the ones that do, uh, they get terrible treatment. You know, they, they, these are teachers. They're, they're not people meant or trained to deal with whatever ailment, you know, somebody has and, people get frustrated and stuff and that's just not a healthy environment. You know, I've heard horror stories sure. as, as we all have. Um, and yeah, homeschooling isn't the solution for everybody. I get that. Um, you, you could do pod learning, like you were saying, um, you know, other, uh, families in your neighborhood, you get together and you create a pool and all of the parents, um, get an interview uh, the, the teachers and you all decide where the kids actually get to set up school and, or you can do homeschooling where everyone kind of trades off what they teach. And, you know, yep. there, there are solutions if you don't want to put your kid in public school. Um, yeah. there is a great documentary I recommend to everybody. It's a PBS documentary and it's called School Inc. And you can find it on YouTube, uh, several other places. 
just search School Inc. Uh, PBS documentary, um, and it, it will come right up. You'll you'll see a a playlist with all of them come up. The uh, the the gentleman who had uh, made the documentary actually died before he was able to to see it all the way through. But they go through school across the entire world, and you know there there's private schooling over in India where a dollar a month is what these people pay in some of the most impoverished places. So I have a hard time believing our country cannot find a solution uh, to take kids out of government schools. I just, I don't believe that lie, you know? Yeah, you know, I hear you, man. If there's a will, there's a way. And uh, I mean, that's a perfect example, especially if, you know, in, in different countries, they're, they're making it happen. And uh now there needs to be. This is a, a big one, and you're absolutely right. And, I, and even with our work, we should probably target and focus on it more because this really is the the gateway, you know, in many ways to uh, statism and believing that the the government is the only uh, resource for any type of social change. Um, believing that you know courts and police and all these things are just a monopoly and that's the only option that we have. I mean, that's literally where most adults in this country are at right now. I mean, you talk about police accountability and they'll, they'll tell you, well, we need to have police, and it's like, well, yeah, it's of course, like there needs to be some kind of security and protection services, but not by a monopoly. Don't you remember learning that part in school? Like monopolies aren't <laughs> good, regardless of who runs them, whether they're private entities or government entities. You yeah. know, like so. But uh, yeah, man, I think that's probably one of the biggest things we could do, probably right up there with peaceful parenting. And I, I would love to see more of a push by uh, libertarians in that regard. Now, you know, there are some resources, uh, the Ron Paul home curriculum uh, that, from what I've heard, is uh, actually pretty awesome. There's the Tuttle Twins books, you know, and these aren't like huge resources, obviously, because there's not a huge market so far that we've created for libertarian, libertarian children. But um John Taylor Gatto, um, David Rodriguez, uh, both of those guys. David Rodriguez is actually still living. He's an activist, uh, anarchist activist, but he does a lot of work within that, that realm as well with homeschooling and unschooling kids. So definitely research him. And uh, John Taylor Gatto is, is uh, deceased, of course, but he was like one of the pioneers and founders of trying to think outside of the box of public education. Um, but yeah, man, you're absolutely right. That, that's something that we need to change. And, you know, I, just like what we were talking about earlier, how the market creates and, uh, change, you know, I mean, that's a huge opportunity just waiting for any, you know, libertarians that have a fire under their ass that, that really want to create, facilitate some change in our movement. I mean, focus on schooling. Like, I think there's a huge market there available. Well, and there's a perfect opportunity to make a lot of money right there. Yep. You know, um, we, we need uh, good, sustainable jobs right now. Um, and you could start accepting something like gold and silver bullion for payment and, uh, you know, get out of that fiat currency, start accepting some uh, gold backs or whatever, you know, and uh, actually get paid value instead of uh, just debt. Sure. So so uh, what, what does uh, Jason have going on? Um, what do you have coming up down the down, coming down the pipeline? Uh, what what is free thought project have coming up and uh yeah just let everyone know what you're what you're doing what you hope to do thank you brother yeah so um it's only been probably about a, a year or two now that i've really put myself into the public eye and i i've always uh tried to just stay 
behind the camera, behind the scenes with the Free Thought Project, because I really wanted this work to speak volumes and to do the work. But unfortunately, it seems that um, people really connect with this thing, you know, your face, and they really want to connect with an individual and a person behind the scenes. So I've, I've really stepped more into that role over the past year or two now. And it's, it's not exactly something that I love, but I've gotten some support and I certainly appreciate that. So uh, yes, come support me over at Jason Bassler one at Twitter or on Twitter, I should say, and uh, Jason dot E dot Bassler on Instagram. Both of those have been fairly good for me. The Instagram specifically has, has really been taken off and I've, I've seen a lot of support from people. Um, of course, we're going to keep doing our thing with the free thought project. As I mentioned, uh, we're working on a, a child's book right now, children's book between like the ages of uh, eight and 12 and just trying to, um, yeah, as we were talking about just a few minutes ago, just yeah. really try to give the kids uh, some tools of their own, you know, away from the propaganda, from the government propaganda and let them know that cops aren't necessarily your friends and uh, let them know their rights, you know, so uh, definitely keep an eye out for that. Otherwise, um, you know, we're just keeping our heads down, trying to rebuild, trying to kind of get back some of our team. You know, we had a solid team there for uh, about three years, and uh, I'd love to get back to that. I would love to start doing some mini documentaries and, and more video content. But we need your help, guys. We need some support. We need some financial stability. Uh, so please go to thefreethoughtproject.com. At the top there, you'll see a way to support us, uh, donations or subscriptions. You know, we have a subscription every month. And that's actually best for us because then we can kind of gauge how much income we have coming in and we can hire more people. And maybe Jacob's looking for a job. We can bring him on as well. Oh, but, yeah. Uh, <laughs> hopefully someday we'll, we'll get back to that. And otherwise, we're just going to keep doing this work and kick an ass and hopefully create a, a free society for our kids. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal, right? Is really just to free everybody. Um, I, I just want to live peacefully. You know, I want to be able to actually own my land, grow my own food, you know, hang out with my friends, have a good time. I want to have to not worry about the things that I'm worrying about, you know, um, if that means that I worry about them so my children and grandchildren don't have to, so be it. I'll, I'll bear that burden so they don't have to. Um, also, you know, I, I really started this podcast wanting to, I, I had this thought of, you know, when my kids or grandkids look up at me and, you know, say, what did you do? I don't, I want to have an answer to say I did something. Right. I, I, I don't want to be embarrassed saying, well, I just stood by and did nothing. You know, um, I actually fought for them, tried to do something for them. Um, so. Really, I implore everyone. Uh, it doesn't. I don't think it really matters how you get involved. It just matters that you do get involved. So, I uh, got to say thank you so much for doing this. This was great. Like I said, I've been following you guys for a long time, and so it was a great honor to get you on. Uh, you and your team, anybody, uh, are always welcome on my platform. Any platform I have, you guys are always welcome to come on for anything. Great, so. Let let me know when you got that book coming out, and we'll 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 do a highlight of the book. That sounds awesome. Thank you, Jacob. Yeah, Appreciate no that, problem. And uh, everyone else, um, like I said before at the start of this, I got a strike on my YouTube channel, so make sure and follow me. Odyssey, Rumble, uh, are the two other video platforms. Uh, eventually, down the 
down the pipeline, we will have uh, our own servers at some point, so we will be able to host our own video. Um, that that is in the works at some point, but until then, we got to use everyone else. Um, otherwise, go to risetoliberty.com forward slash links l i n k s. That's everywhere you can find us. Uh, Instagram, Twitter, um, all major audio platforms: Apple, Spotify. Google, Stitcher, uh, Pod Addict, Addict apparently is really big for some reason. I have a lot of listeners on there. So, uh, yeah, thanks again, Jason, and uh, thanks for everyone else uh, watching. It was a great time, and uh, until next time, stay free, my friend.